Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is doing our own work on racism. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so should somebody be listening to this in the future sometime? Let's give a little background on what's currently going on and why we're taping this now. Yes. So this is June 9th, 2020, when we're recording. And right now in North America, actually around the world, COVID-19 is continuing to go. Coronavirus is still a part of our daily lives right now. And a week and a half ago, about 10 days ago, uh, George Floyd was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis. And alongside of the loss of his life, as well as dozens of others before him, Breonna Taylor, and many, many other names of individuals who have been lost through extrajudicial killings, the country and globally, the world, yep, the world has come forward to pick up the call of Black Lives Matter and to call for systemic fundamental changes and shifts, particularly police reform. And activities and activists have been working hard. There have been actions every single day for the last about 10 days all around the world and in many cities and in small towns everywhere. So last week, for the first time in the four years now that we've been podcasting, we went quiet. And not to be silent, but because as two white women of privilege, our voice was not what was needed to be amplified last week. Nope. And so we went quiet and lifted up, hopefully, folks engaged some of those that we lifted up. And if you haven't, please, please, please go check out the Church Basement podcast page on centralportland.org. Take a look at the resources that we commended to you and do some of that. But this week, it's time for us to come back, use our privileged voices, speaking to other white people to talk about how to do this work, how to learn, how to stretch ourselves, what to what to do with all this stuff? I would like to start with where we sort of are coming at this from. Okay. We have both acknowledged that we're middle-aged white women, so we carry a certain amount of privilege. Were you ever aware of that? Prior to the last, I mean, I think I was aware of my straight privilege. I was aware of my cis privilege as an ally there. I was aware that I have a lot of racist auto reactions within me. Sure. But I haven't known how to do that work. And so I started trying to be intentional about that work after Ferguson. Sure. And the protests and the pieces in Ferguson and Don't Shoot. And so I I started really trying to dig into and learn more about my own racism then. Yeah, I am gonna be completely honest and say I've come to it embarrassingly late in terms of understanding my own privilege and wanting to do something about it. I remember the Rodney King riots, but it didn't really register me why it was a big deal and should have been a bigger deal for me. Mm -hmm. Probably not until we got to 
Trayvon Martin and the Ferguson thing where it started hitting a little more of this is something, this is an issue and it's not right. And it's deeply systemic. Oh, absolutely. Deeply systemic. And that kind of knowledge is still coming, right? You still got to step back and look, wait, I don't even know what you're talking about when you're talking about redlining. And I don't even know what some of the effects of things like um, gerrymandering and voter suppression are doing. And it's, it's far deeper than you think it is. And especially in Oregon, we have a responsibility of learning and, and in Portland, Oregon, we have a responsibility to learn how the very foundation of our state and of our city have racism, anti-Black racism, absolutely as foundational components. Yeah, and it is not being taught in the schools. Having seen my children go through it, that is not where any of the information is coming from. Sure. And I'm sure, like, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Like, I remember learning how to tell what part of the state I was in by what kind of rocks were around me. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember them talking about slave trade or abolition or any of that. No. So it's not just Oregon, but... Right. Knowing what's going on in current events and then seeing what has been taught... I now have an eighth grader and somebody in college. So I've seen them go through it all. And it's sad how little knowledge we're actually putting out there to our kids. It absolutely is. And then the challenge then becomes, what is our responsibility to learn on our own? And this is one of the messages that we hear from Black leaders is a request to white people to do our own work. Yeah. To not ask them, what do we need to know? Tell me about your history. What books Please should I read? Us. What books should I read? Right? It's on us in the same way that for folks who are maybe more familiar with doing advocacy and being an ally for LGBTQIA individuals, that we don't ask trans people to help us understand things. We go do the Googling and do the work ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so part of what we wanted to talk about today from our capacity is to say, we have to do our own work. And if you haven't had someone tell you yet that you likely, if you are a white person with wealth in North America, that you are likely participating, well, no, not likely, you are participating in a racist culture. Yep. And you may not know it, but we are doing it. Just learning about redlining at all, is enough to help understand how it is that generational wealth discrepancy begins and occurs. Yep. And that's a start. That's the tip of an iceberg. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. What are you doing? What kind of things are you seeking out now that it seems to be even more imperative that we do this work and we do it diligently and quickly? I got a lot of catching up to do, right? Right. It's hard. One thing that I want to say is that there's a lot of catching up to do. And just like cramming for an exam at the last minute. Sure. If you cram the information in your head, you're not going to have time to learn it and let it change you. Sure. You might memorize the facts and the details of the Civil War, but to actually be able to answer the impacts that it had upon culture and long-term representation in our country that's going to take time. So even if we are late 
to learning, even if our white guilt is trying to shame us into learning as much as we can, as fast as we can, to show that we can be proficient in race conversations. Mm -hmm. We do ourselves and we do the movement and injustice when we try to rush through it. So take your time. This is not something that anyone is going to be done with in the next six weeks. Oh, no. You can't take a master class in anti-racism and be ready to call yourself an anti-racist in six weeks. Well, and I think it should be a lifelong pursuit, right? You should never stop learning about this kind of thing. And so in that case, we want to start with building ourselves a solid foundation in understanding and in the work. So if part of that solid foundation is to say, where is this existing in my own body? I can't impact change on the world around me if I don't know where it is inside of me first. I just saw a post from a colleague who posted up kind of a couple of steps of exercises to do. Okay. That help to recognize how racism is within our own body systems. And there are questions and then there's suggestions on what to watch for. Like, do your muscles tense? Do you feel flushed? Are your hands tingling? Right? When you think of these particular things. And then what to kind of do around that. What to think about. What to journal about. What to spend time with. So if you're an extrovert, take those and sit down with someone and talk about them. And figure out, okay, well, when I think about uh, walking into a protest space where there are more black people than white people, I get butterflies in my stomach, my cheeks feel flushed, and my shoulders tense up. Okay, well, then what is my body telling me that I have an inherent belief about that situation? Is my body programmed to tell me that I am in danger in that situation. Okay, body, well, why are you programmed to say that? And how is that untrue? How is that a false narrative? And then how do we counter it? And how do we put ourselves into those situations so we can prove to our body that what we have been told as white women Mm -hmm. throughout our lifetimes, right, is an untruth? How do we reprogram then our autonomic responses so that we can go into those spaces with relaxed shoulders and open hearts and open hands. So as simple as that kind of work, which is not simple, right? No. (laughs) That's a lot of self-reflection. And if you're an introvert, like maybe you want to do that in a journal. Sure. In a space completely alone where you don't have to sit with other people to think about how you're responding to things, right? So finding ways to really dig into how our own bodies own this And then finding ways to give ourselves the chance to rework that. That in itself takes a ton of time. Another place I'm going to highly recommend is Me and White Supremacy by Layla Saeed. And it's an incredible book workbook that she created maybe two, three years ago. And it started as an Instagram process. Okay. She started like as an Instagram challenge for white women where she did a ton of emotional labor for them. And then she turned it into a workbook and then it was picked up and published. So it's now an official publication. And what I appreciate deeply about this workbook is that it doesn't let me off the hook. Okay. It's easy for me 
to take a history book and read it and not see myself in it. Sure. Right. I can get into that academic space where I can learn a story, but not like, yeah, it'll impact me, but I can still distance myself enough from it to Mm -hmm. not have ownership of the situation. So I could read about the riots or I could read about slavery or I could read about history, those kinds of things. And my racist self will separate myself from that and say, but I'm not like the slave owners. Sure. So I don't really have any work to do, right? And keep it at arm's length. Mm -hmm. Me and white supremacy specifically says, you who are reading this, you have been impacted by white supremacy. Let's unpack that. Mm -hmm. And you can't sneak away from owning participation within the system. It's a deeply personal book. As an introvert, I cannot imagine doing this work in a group setting. Sure. (laughs) Because it's so deeply personal and it is incredibly impactful and important work. And for extroverts, I bet that this would be an amazing book to use as a workbook, as a small group of white people doing the work together. It's an amazing gift that this author has given to us. So I highly commend that. There are so many articles and posts and videos and all of those kinds of things being shared right now on social media. If you go online and you look up beginner anti-racist materials for white people. (laughs) Sure. Right? Like as simple as that. Yeah. If you're going to learn about the history of some of this stuff, there is a lot of wonderful, wonderful information out there coming from the Black perspective. I urge Mm -hmm. you to pick the Black author and not the white author for this. Absolutely. And understand that Black authors and Black filmmakers and Black artists have already done a lot of work. Don't ask your black neighbor <laughs> no. to do that work for if you have a black neighbor, sure. right? If you're in Portland, you might have difficulty finding one. Like, don't ask your black friend to do this work right now. No. Lean on the gifts of those who have already done that work and given it, and then lean towards your white accomplices to process it. A term that I think people may or may not be familiar with is emotional labor. Oh, I'm familiar with it. (laughs) Right? Uh A lot of women are. Uh In the same way that many cis white women get frustrated because toxic masculinity has caused it so that we do much of the emotional labor for our male partners, Mm -hmm. black members of our community are often expected to do the emotional labor of anti-racism work for us. Mm -hmm. It's just perpetuation of the same broken cycles. Don't do it. Exactly. Don't do it. You don't want it done to you. Don't do it to somebody else. Yeah. Again, I'm going back to, I grew up in a small town in Iowa. And for me, the very most basic first step is to normalize seeing this stuff. I am seeking out as much as I can in podcasts and books and movies just to see these people in an everyday situation because it is not something that I ever saw growing up. Maybe there was one or two in my entire town. It wasn't until I got to college 
that, that I got to regularly see. Regularly saw black people. More people of color. And it was usually the football players because that mm-hmm. was the dorm I was staying in. So I have a lot of catching up to do, I feel. And something I also remember seeing is the black voices that I'm catching on social media are also urging us to not just do Selma or 13th Amendment. Seek out the happier news and the happier books and just the regular, there's lots of black young adult authors out there doing some really wonderful, wonderful work. Get some positive along with a lot of what feels heavy. In part of my kind of consistent effort to work on my own racism, I have worked very hard to find fiber artists and designers. So independent dyers for yarn or the people that I invest in whose patterns I buy, I try very hard to exclusively buy BIPOC. So Black Indigenous People of Color is that term, B-I-P-O-C. People may be seeing that now on a regular basis. So I work very hard and I've been doing that for about a year and a half now just to try to keep my money invested in communities that I value. And so it's been a consistent effort, which means that my Instagram feed, yeah, I try very hard to intentionally keep it quite diverse. So what I'm seeing is pretty diverse. One of the ways that you can do that is you can take whatever you're passionate about. So whether that's fiber or whether that's cosplay. So a lot of my friends do cosplay. And right now the cosplay community is shouting out black cosplayers because they don't get as much attention as white cosplayers do. And so, or even some other people of color. And so intentionally following accounts of BIPOC folks and specifically right now, black folks. Oh yeah. And this is for everything, right? I've tailored my Twitter feed, which often can be very, very depressing (laughs) to have more of those voices. And I'm talking the historians and the authors and the journalists. It's really fascinating getting that other side of the view and trying to burst that bubble that is your social media feed. I want to say that we're sharing this, at least I know I'm sharing this, not to virtue signal, not to say, you know, check out who I'm following on Twitter because you'll see a lot of people of color. Like that's not my perspective here. My point in this is to say to other white people who are learning, who are on the journey alongside, this is one thing that I have done in order to combat my own racism. Oh, the things that I'm learning are fascinating to me fascinating Mm -hmm. just down the line of all history and as much as I'm mad at it and I'm Mm -hmm. mad that it happens I am so thrilled that I'm finally learning it and I hope other people have a chance to as well and in learning getting this stuff to see the beautiful things to find hope to understand that there is a future that can happen and in learning and those kinds of things For me, that gives me the impetus to move forward in taking action. And it gives me a background on how I want to be if and when I step into those spaces. So I, back five years ago or so, when I first got here to Portland, one of the first contacts I ended up making, and it, it was purely by the Spirit of God, connected me with one of the very gifted pastors in the Black community here in Portland. 
And we have for the last five years, I believe, done a service in the park together in August. And my relationship in the first two years, I was every single week, I was walking with him in the park and then I got extremely busy and haven't been as present. And what I have learned in these years is how to show up, how to try to show up in those spaces. Mm -hmm. And gosh, I always still feel like I'm blowing it. Like I'm, I'm watching and waiting so that I don't speak at a turn Mm -hmm. and I don't want to take the mic when it's not my turn. And then I want to understand when I'm invited to take the mic, what the responsibility in that is. It's really hard and it's totally appropriate for me to feel incredibly uncomfortable and to second guess every single thing I do because I am a part of a racist nation Mm -hmm. and I am a part of the problem And it's okay for me to be incredibly uncomfortable and to still be trying, recognizing that I mess up and still be learning. The challenge is to not be like, oh, sorry, messed up. Forgive me. Right. Okay. I'm coming back. Right. But to actually make amends and do my work. That's what's being called for right now among us is that we do our work. So do your work, folks. (laughs) Exactly. Something that's come up in the past is that Sunday morning is one of the more segregated times in America. Mm -hmm. Do you have any ideas on what you would like to change going forward from here? For Sunday mornings? No. For the work that we continue to need to do in general as a congregation, a central Lutheran church, we're still working on that. I will say that there is some public art that is currently being planned for happening at our building in the next week or so. Okay. As a congregation, the last two weeks, not this Sunday, but the Sunday before, I specifically preached to Black Lives Matter, and then presiding Bishop Elizabeth Eaton spoke to Black Lives Matter in her sermon for the entire denomination this last Sunday. We can link both of those sermons on the podcast page if people are interested. So trying to speak about it from the pulpit trying to speak to it from the pulpit and use that space. We are talking and trying to organize around what is the next step in the kind of education cycle. But the danger is that Lutherans are really good at educating ourselves into complete non-action. Sure. Oh, sure. (laughs) Right. Like, let's do another book study. (laughs) And then we like study it all some more and it keeps it at a lovely distance from our actual embodied selves because North American Lutherans aren't necessarily all that talented at being embodied individuals. And so we're trying to find ways to not just talk about racism, but to take it another step as a congregation. And so we haven't gotten that completely prepared or knowing what that will look like as of yet. But there's clearly more work to be done. There's clearly a ton of work yet to be done. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. What is the favorite thing that you have come across, movie, podcast, book, something? My favorite thing was walking in the park with beautiful children of God every Friday and sitting down and having coffee and hearing their stories. That was my favorite thing. I miss that. And I miss their relationships and I miss being connected with them in that way and their influence on my life and the things that I was learning about a world and an experience that was so far different from my own 
that I could see more clearly the incredible passion of how God shows up in a million different ways. And I miss that. I miss the genuine relationships. And I don't know how to create that in any other way other than being humble and trying to find that kind of a space to be a part of. But that's not a kind of space that's easy to find. And right now, no one owes us that space. Mm -hmm. No one owes us that opportunity. So beyond that, I will commend me and white supremacy. It's important work. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about doing our work on racism. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for listening. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, if you have an amazing resource that you would like to share with us, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.